for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blisey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Blasey, and this is episode number two. And today, we're joined by Justin Fabian, and we're going to be diving into his move from New York to Iowa to work for Midwest Whitetail. And we're also going to dive into his pursuit of his biggest buck to date last year in Canada. Here we are, the second installment of the Fall Podcast, and today I have a special guest on, and he is the first guest of the podcast, and his name is Justin Fabian. Justin, how you doing, man? Good, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, I, we've been trying to get in touch for a while here and, and uh, get on the podcast, and finally we're we're making it happen with our schedules. Yeah, it's no joke. It's It's been a crazy month two months for me actually but uh you know you just you've been a little busy yourself with work and trying to get the fall podcast off the ground here so we finally finally got connected yeah it, it's it's pretty crazy i this podcast has been like a like a two-month venture if if not a little bit longer and it just felt like it was never gonna happen and then we had the fire in kansas and i lost literally everything that i had worked up to this and uh, it was just a big buzzkill I'm like what do I do now you know and it 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 honestly made me not want to go through with it and I'm like nope don't do that we have to do this you know so it uh yeah you had it in place and just just a minor setback yeah I had I had like five podcasts done recorded and ready to launch and a week before I was going to launch there everything goes (laughs) That was crazy, man. I remember you sending me the, the Snapchat right there when you walked up on the truck, and I said, no way. <laughs> it was <laughs> unbelievable, man, I'll tell you. Well, before we get too f- much farther, I want everybody to know who you are. So so if you could introduce yourself and uh, tell me where you're from and uh, originally from and what you do. All right. Well, my name is Justin Fabian, and I come from a small town in upstate New York, in Shenango County, uh, Green, New York, actually. Um, and I am currently living in Iowa, southeast Iowa, um, deer hunter's paradise. And uh, the reason I'm here is because I have recently taken a job with Midwest Whitetail as one of their producers. So uh, talking about the crazy schedules we've had, that's been the reason for mine. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, you and I have talked back and forth here quite a bit in the recent months and you've been through a heck of a heck of a whirlwind the last, you know, couple months and and uh you've moved your well, you haven't moved your family out yet. Your wife's still back in New York, right? Yep, yep. I'm I'm here with the dog for now, holding down a 30-foot camper. <laughs> living in an rv park <laughs> yep yep but someday i'll look back and say that's how it started and that's what i started with so 
Exactly. It's all about the story, right? Right. That's that's what we're in business for, right? <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned you work for Midwest Whitetail and that you're a producer for for them. What uh, what's your daily duties right now for Midwest Whitetail? Um, so when I got when I accepted the job and came into the office uh, with the other guys, uh, the first project that was put on my plate was was to be the editor of Cabela's Turkey Roost, which is an online series. Um, Cabela's has a hunting channel on YouTube, Cabela's Hunting. And on that, they have uh, a few different shows, actually. And Midwest Whitetail produces their spring series called Turkey Roost. So that was that was a project I took on, my first project with Midwest Whitetail. And I am I just finished episode nine of 10 today. So I've got one left. Yeah, one left. So right now you are editing footage that comes in from Cabela's Pro Staff. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, there's uh, is it five different teams from across the state, you know, north, from across the country, uh, north to south. Um, it's a pretty cool mix of people, um, not, not just for the sake of, you know, diversity in, in hunters and the, the styles of hunting, but more effectively for the sake of the show, you know, in the length of the season that it provides, you know, in the, the content for the show, you know, starting in the South, you know, in mid-March and now leading into the Northern states like Wisconsin and New York, where they're only in their second, going into their second week of season. Right. And so basically being the producer on it, you know, you and I know, cause we're in the television world all the time that's what we do yep so to explain to everybody else you know when you get footage that you have not produced or filmed in the field i mean it it can be pretty difficult so you know walk us through that that scenario like when you get footage on your desk what is your next step to ingest it in the computer and you know how long does that process usually take uh, well, the first step is to to download it, obviously. Um, I mean, different people do it different ways, but we bring it in on the file sharing service uh, website, rather, file sharing website we transfer. So it goes to an email that we have set up in the office, and, you know, it's uh, it comes in from one of the pro staffers, and I download it, organize it based on who it's from and what state it's from and whether it's a kill or not. And then from there, I literally go through every file and watch every second of it so I can start developing a storyline for that particular hunt or those particular people on that team, you know, going into either that week's episode or the following week's episode, depending on what's already, you know, in the in the outline for the current for the current week. So does the pro staff, do they do they supply you with any sort of outline journal of what happened or are you seeing the footage for the first time and trying to develop a storyline right when you see it for the first time um i would say 90 percent of the time i'm seeing it for the first time without any without any other you know pretense to it um if i get lucky and happen to be able to to hunt with somebody I'm going to jump on that opportunity to, to be in the field and, you know, and 
produce my own stuff on that end, knowing what I'm doing and what I'm shooting for. So I get it back on the computer and edit my own footage. And I, would, I would take that 100% of the time if I could, but um, <clears throat> unfortunately that's not the case when you're working with, with a show like this. I mean, you know how that works. You've done it yourself. <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm lucky. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm lucky because there's a there's a very well established open line of communication between me and all the all the pro staff and the guys who guys and girls who are out there, you know, hunting and laying down the video. Um, and these these people are all doing it themselves. Everybody that films is out there hunting. They're not. There's no freelancers that were sourced for this. I mean, they they own their own equipment and they're out there doing all the work on the production side and on the hunting side. So, I mean, you and I both know how difficult that can be, you know, even knowing 100% of what you're doing out there, but self-filming is a whole nother, whole nother animal. It's a wild beast in itself, man. But (laughs) honestly, when you're on the successful end of it, when you're self-filming and you get a kill, and it's all on cam- and you know all on camera and you do it the right way it is so fulfilling i'll tell you it's it's you've really felt like you've done something P- me personally that's what i felt i've i've done it on deer i've done it on turkey um and you know i've done it enough to where i don't care to really do it again cuz it's so difficult <laughs> so yeah. i do commend those people that do do it and do it well and successful successfully all the time yep yeah and it's for me, the one of the rewarding aspects of it is the fact that they're so open to the constructive criticism that they know is going to make them better. You know, when they're in that situation with the camera, either filming themselves or someone else. So it's just cool to, you know, having met you so long ago when I was guiding, you know, you were the first influence on me as far as you know, coming across a TV show or a field producer. So it's like, I finally get the chance to give it to somebody else. So it's, it just feels good to know that they're willing to accept that. Yeah. And you and I met back in 2012 in Sonora, Texas, correct? That's where it was. We're down in Sonora. Yep. Yeah. Sonora. And you were guiding. Um, I was producing a TV show that came in there and and we met and we were together for a week to 10 days or something, just kind of hit it off. And yeah. honestly, we, you know, we stayed in touch ever since. And, you know, I've got to commend you for keeping your nose to the grindstone and really taking a passion and a, you know, a desire that you wanted to do. And you've been, you've been through some ups and downs, man. Yeah. And sure. to get where you're at right now, and my hat's off to you because you've worked your tail off and you're finally there and I'm I'm happy for you. I'm really happy for you. No, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Like I said, I mean, there's influences along the way. And I mean, started with you in Texas. And then, you know, as I took it more seriously and said, you know, I really want to see what I can do with this. That's, I think I saw you again, was it two years later in 2014? I came out to yep. the to the production school there in Michigan. Yep. You came out to our production school. You stayed at my house for a couple or for the weekend anyway, and drank some beers, had some fun and, you know, and it just, the bond kept growing, honestly. And it was just, it's been, 
been great ever since. Yeah. I don't think I've seen you since then, but we've talked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see each other again because I just put in for my Iowa tag for this year. So yeah. I'm hoping, I'm hoping I draw. I got two points. I've got two points this year and I'm hoping I draw going to three, but if not, uh, I should get it next year. So we'll see. Yeah. If all goes well, if all goes right, <laughs> I'll still be here. Right. All <laughs> right. Well, let's jump in a little bit more to Midwest Whitetail. Now, explain to everybody kind of what Midwest Whitetail does. I feel like a lot of people just think it's a online show or a TV show, but it's actually much more than that. If you could shed a little more light on that. Yeah, it is much more than that. And I didn't even realize that personally until I got here. You know, I was a viewer of the show for a while. And when the opportunity came up, you know, to apply for the job, I of course jumped on it and getting here, like I said earlier, it, my first project was uh, post-production on that Cabela's show. And I was like, wait a minute, what, this is a deer show. Come to find out there's quite a few number of productions that are coming out of Midwest Whitetail's office. And I mean, I don't think a lot of people realize that. We actually do that Cabela's show, Turkey Roost, that I mentioned earlier, um, and we do uh, Real Trees Spring Thunder, their their Real Trees Turkey Series. So, um, as of right now, it's those two plus Chasing November and Midwest Whitetail. So right now, throughout the course of the year, there's four productions. Two of them are ours, and two of them are I don't know what you would call that. It'd be you you guys would definitely you'd be like the production house for the shows what you're saying so they would they would sub basically they're subbing you out to produce the show edit the show and then get it on air essentially but on this on this instance you guys are digital correct yes everything we do is is all digital there's as of right now nothing that comes out of our office that goes on network television Gotcha. It's all semi-live with the same structure that people know Midwest Whitetail and Chasing November as. That that same that same production style and that same concept of a semi-live show is applied to those two other productions that we have right now. So it's it's always current, it's always up to date, it's always the most recent thing that happened. Right. Now, Midwest Whitetail, they actually came into the digital game a while back before everybody really was doing it. So they're kind of kind of the forefathers of really going digital. Now they did have a they did have a TV show, but they always had the Midwest Whitetail digital series, correct? Like where they had the I remember they had like a team, a couple teams from Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Wisconsin. I used to watch that a lot when I was in college. I didn't have any TV, so yeah. that's what I'd watch on 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 the computer, you know, to get yep. me through my college days yeah i hear you and you're you're correct in saying that um 2000 the 2018 season will be the 11th year for the main show midwest whitetail and um bill winky saw this coming you know long before anybody else did and has been able to to capitalize on that from not only a marketing standpoint but a production standpoint you know it's I think it's just now to the point where 
sponsors realize the value in it. And so do other shows, even network television, I think like, you know, your, your networks, outdoor channel, sportsman channel pursuit. Um, I would have to think they're probably a little nervous because they know it's just a, it's essentially a free platform for people to put their content on. And that just opens up a lot of sponsor dollars, you know, to, to get the same, to get their products in front of a larger audience for a lower cost. Exactly. And I'm glad you said that because, you know, our industry is a pay to play industry. So you're paying to have your show on a network. You're paying them, which is a little backwards, I would think. <laughs> yeah. Cause then you got to go out there and find sponsors to recoup that cost and make all these promises, you know, financially and obligations to, for representation. I mean, it's a pay to play game, but at the end of the day, it's also, it's marketing and advertising. Exactly. And the thing is too, is a lot of these sponsors are pulling a lot of their TV dollars and putting it towards digital because there's a lot of eyeballs there in digital, you know, YouTube gets so many views per day. And yeah, a lot of people say YouTube's kind of a redneck platform or whatever, you know, they use, but the thing is there's eyeballs there and in our world, all sponsors and manufacturers want to see is impressions and likes and shares and everything to go with that. That's all they want to see because that's moving the needle for them. That's very true. That's that's what it comes down to. I really think in the next five to 10 years, you're going to see a lot of, and it might even be sooner than that, but I feel like in the next five to 10 years, you're going to see a lot of television shows, big name shows going digital, whether it be on a carbon TV or a YouTube or whatever it is. I just feel like you're going to see a lot of that coming And Midwest Whitetail, in my opinion, was the forerunners of that. And they've went through the, the, the ups and downs of it. And now I think they're starting to flourish or start maybe not starting, but still flourishing from it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, I couldn't agree with you more. I've only been here for, about 10 weeks now and that is 100 percent the impression i have as quote unquote outsider you know coming in so um it just it feels good to be part of something like that you know given my background and they're deer guys and i'm a deer guy and i've passed up some other pretty pretty good opportunities in other places that, that all just seem it, it seems now like it was all for a good reason. You know, I didn't know this was coming and I just threw my name in the hat saying, yeah, I might have a chance. And I had an interview five days later. <laughs> and it's starting to pay off for you. And I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm stoked for you, man. And I'm, I'm sure uh, when you get your wife out there in Iowa and you guys start, you know, you buy a house and kind of set up shop there and, I mean, who doesn't want to be in the big buck mecca of the world, too? <laughs> yeah, that's, I made a joke to my wife. <clears throat> I said, hey, I applied for this job. And she's like, what? Where? Where? And I said, it's in the Holy Land. <laughs> <laughs> and she's, she immediately knew. And she said, what the heck's an Iowa? <laughs> and she she knew of the show. We watched it together quite a bit. And I mean, she follows. She had followed a lot of the stuff I did as a freelancer. 
just for the sake of, of seeing my work. So the fact that we watched Midwest Whitetail and Chasing November together just as a show that we both enjoyed when I told her who it was for and she said, yeah, that'll work. (laughs) (laughs) So you moved out to Iowa, the big buck Mecca to work for Midwest Whitetail. But if I remember right last year, you shot your biggest buck to date in Canada. I need to know a little more about that. Let's dive into it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's see. uh, So I'd I'd been to this outfitter in Saskatchewan uh, twice up until this point uh once on a bear hunt and once on a moose hunt you know both filming on both of those occasions and uh you know as a freelancer i was able to develop those relationships you know personally with outfitters you know as you know having been a guide there was a lot of a lot of common you know conversation a lot of you know ways to relate to each other outside of the hunt so um a lot of times we would I mean, in this particular instance, you know, Sean, Sean and I, you know, hit it off really well and said, Hey, you know, what if we, what if you and I work together and let's offer like a, what if we had a filming package to anything you offer on a hunt? And if it works out and we can make the price work and your hunters, you know, want it, then, you know, I'll be here. That's how I got on the moose hunt. And then from there, it was like, well, You've been here in the spring for my bear season. You came up here in September for the moose season. I think in two years, I'm going to start running deer hunts. And I said, dude, I'll be here. I said, if if you either sell it or sell me one or something, but I need to be here for a deer hunt. Now, what time of year were you thinking about going? Um, I wanted to go, you know, personally, I, I would have went, um, later than I did because I, I want that post rut, like absolutely freezing, miserable Saskatchewan winter hunt. So you wanted the experience. You wanted the I Saskatchewan want- experience. Oh yeah, man. I said, haven't been there before. I mean, he's got power and he's got hot water, but his cabins were built in the forties. It's a pot belly wood stove and a and a bunk bed with a bed roll. I mean it's by far it is the Saskatchewan experience, no matter what you want to go up there and hunt. So what when did you end up going up there then? I actually went up there I was hunting I was hunting in Wisconsin and I drove I left Wisconsin on October twenty twenty eighth. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> I, I hunted for four days with some friends in Wisconsin. I left at nine o'clock on my fourth day to catch a flight out of Kansas city at 6 AM on the 29th. So I, I drove all night down to Kansas city. I pulled into the parking lot. I slept for two hours, unloaded all my crap, my hunting gear, my bow, my cameras, everything jumped on a plane in Kansas city and, and went North. Um, so I, I hunted, I hunted the 30th, the 31st, which by the way, I know is Casey's favorite day to hunt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And coincidentally, that's the day I killed my buck. You killed him on the 31st. So you were only, you literally were in, you were in stand two days and you, 
one set. I didn't even sit my first day. We got in there at noon on the 30th, and I was like, dude, I just hunted for four days. I drove all night. I just got on these these two flights. I said, I'm going to shoot my bow. I'm going to drink a beer, and I'll help you cook. You want to get the other guys out, whatever. I'm going to kick it with you in camp. I am not in a hurry. <laughs> so, so, okay, so so you shot your bow, made sure everything was good to go. Yep. You didn't hunt the first night. Now, what was your setup? Were you guys hunting mornings? Were you hunting out of tree stands? Was it ground blinds? Was it over bait? What was your setup? It was over bait. It was on alfalfa, and everything was uh, ground blind setups. Okay. He had a couple of tree stand setups, you know, if cameras produced anything worth sitting in there for, but um, 90% of them were ground blinds with heaters, thankfully. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I I hung out in camp. I shot my bow. I helped Sean cook dinner, and, you know, we just, just shot the shit for a couple hours. Everybody hunted that first night and caught up and kind of laid out the plan, and I went in on Halloween morning. First day, I was going in for an all-day sit. I packed. What was I the temperature? Oh, it wasn't terrible yet. Uh, I think it was. Yeah, it was in the twenties, like low, uh, high twenties. Okay. Um, the river ended up freezing over two days later, so we, um, we ended up having to drive the quads downriver a ways to some shallower water, to some rapids, and then ride the bank back up the opposite side to get out of camp, but. So were you taking four wheelers back into into the into the stands in the morning, or I mean, how was your access and how were they getting you out in the mornings? Yeah, it was four wheelers in. Um, you know, generally on a on a bait site. I mean, it's people do it here in Kansas. People do it here in Texas. I mean, it is what it is. It's normally you wouldn't want to go in on a site like that in the morning because you risk running them off, but um, he had them set up to where it was about a, a quarter to a half a mile walk in from where he would drop you off. So it's old logging roads and there is a little bit of traffic up there with some of the other camps. So, I mean, <clears throat> there was a little bit of traffic. What uh, was your, what was your blind setup? So it, was it just, you know, one shooting lane? Um, you said you had a heater, so you're probably pretty comfortable most of the day, but you're going in for, for a full day set, right? Yes. So you, you had your mindset, you know, because it is a mindset to try to get in there and know that you're hunting all day. That's that's tough. Oh, yeah. So so you're going in for an all-day sit, and you got the mindset that you're going to be in there all day. You packed lunch. Now, did you know about this deer? Did you have any history with this deer, you know, or was it a deer that just showed up and that was the one you wanted? No, I mean – Fortunately and unfortunately, I mean, I guess you can call it history, but Sean was sending me pictures of that deer for two weeks before I got there. <laughs> I knew he was consistent and I knew I'd at least have a shot. So that's what told me just go all in day one, just, just gut it out. And I mean, he was on that, he was on that bait at random times throughout the day, but he was there every day at some point. Was he in daylight? He started out in the dark for the first, like, four days. Sean cut this bait in fresh. And I think, I mean, even he said he got lucky. 
we just got in his bedroom by happenstance and just gave him a free meal 24 hours a day you know something 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 better than than bark and tree branches <laughs> <laughs> so take me through your morning you get in the stand it's dark yes. starts cracking daylight what's going on well here's the thing I, i'm I, I filmed the whole thing i self-filmed this whole thing so i'm getting in there and the ride in was the absolute worst because you're on the four-wheeler and it's like I said it's 20s i'm bundled up and like my hands are freezing i can't feel my face i got i got tears frozen to my cheeks you know and i'm like man this is rough but i get in the blind and i get my cameras my tripod set up and everything and you know the sun rises and i'm like in producer mode i'm just getting i'm getting the cutaways i'm getting bird audio you know i'm i'm sitting there it's getting light out and you know a, a spike comes and these young deer and like nine o'clock and i i swear a moose was coming i'm like man that's loud it's it's so cold and things are just echoing through the timber and trees are popping because they're freezing and i mean i don't know how else to set the scene but just frigid canada snow <laughs> on the ground there was snow everything the is just magnified every sound is magnified yep and it's two does i'm like oh my god these things are ridiculous you know and Sean told me, he's like, don't be surprised when you see this buck that, you know, you're going to think he's smaller than he is because his body is going to be so big that his antlers look small. Like, complete opposite of the Texas effect. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's like, okay, I see these does and I'm I'm telling you, Aaron, like, these does were all of 275 pounds, if not more. Wow. They looked like <laughs> they looked like Iowa does in july you know like bread does in july like a midwestern a healthy midwestern deer in july that's what these does look like pre-rut <laughs> wow so it was that was my first experience with seeing a deer in saskatchewan so i'm i'm filming first morning you've got two does and a spike in there yeah i mean back and forth in and out just you know and uh, a pine martin came in a couple times. I got some really cool footage of a pine martin just kind of bouncing around. Um, you know, birds coming in and grabbing hay, you know, just flying off, building a nest or something. I don't know. I know but So I'm I'm going through the day. I'm just, I'm in producer mode, like waiting on this buck. I'm looking at pictures, making sure I'm not going to misidentify it. And, you know, noon comes, I get my jet boil out. I fire up some water and I eat my run. I'm getting cutaways of the jet boil and I'm telling myself eating lunch. And it's like, all right, you'll be here at some point. And two 30 in the afternoon all by himself. He steps out in my shooting lane at 15 yards broadside. Like <laughs> I hear it coming. I don't know what it is. Like he comes in, hits my shooting lane at 15 yards and turns straight away and is walking straight away from me down the shooting lane to the alfalfa. And I'm like, well, that's him. And what, what, what was, what was your initial thought when you saw him? It was the, is it him? Oh my God, it is. It, that, that's the one, you know? And it was like, okay, camera's on. 
I mean, I had, I had two angles in my, in the blind. I had a DSLR with a 10 millimeter shooting back at me, getting everything with audio. And then I had my, my AX one, I was mic'd up with wireless and I had my shotgun on that. So I had three channels of audio. I had two live angles going. I've got all this great, this great B-roll, this great pre-roll of the deer coming in. And it's like, all right, this is awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to nail it. And I don't know what happened or where it happened, but somewhere in that process, the hunter took over and the production went out the window. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I got my kill shot and I, at, at 31 yards, I, I made a less than desirable shot somehow. So, okay, let's go back. You said he came out at 15 yards, but then turned and walked away from you. Yeah. He, like I'm looking down my shooting lane out my front window. He yep. comes in from my right side. So I've got him broadside on his left for a matter of like two steps. And then he turns and walks straight down the shooting lane towards the alfalfa. So like all I've got is the old Texas heart shot. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, well, it's 30 yards. He's going, he's going to eat whatever. Let's give him a minute. Yep. He gets out there and he's just chowing away. He's all by himself. He's standing there eating, picking his head up. He's looking at me, looking around, like no care whatsoever about the blind. I mean, I, I don't know. It was, it was the most relaxed, like in the moment thing you could ask for as a, as a producer, you know, and knowing what's going on. So you settled the pin and and let it go. I settled the pin and I let it go. And I, I just saw, I I saw a hair fly and I knew I, I hit him low. I was perfect left to right, but I hit him low. Like, like Caleb Byers low. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know what I did. I, I didn't, I didn't figure it out until I got back home. So you, you hit him. So you hit him low post shot what's your reaction is is the producer taking over like i gotta get this on film or is the hunter taking over like crap what what just happened it was all hunter because no reaction didn't turn the camera around i didn't look at the second angle like i didn't say a word i was so disgusted with myself and what i just did you know because everything else was so perfect. And like, I, I screwed up. Like I, I made a bad shot. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this deer was so consistent. Sean had him pinpointed and I just, I screwed up. This is going to turn into an overnight deal. And you know, one of those just classic sleepless nights kind of a thing. And I was like, I don't know what I did. I was so disgusted with myself because Number one, I hate to, I practice enough to know I'm better than that. And number two, I, I hate to think about the fact that I could have done better and the animal has to suffer because I didn't perform. Right. It kills you. I mean, that's what every hunter goes through. I mean, in that moment, I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying dead is dead. So, okay. Take me back. So you shot him, you're going through, you know, this bad bad state you know you had a bad bad shot it was low 
what did you do next? You know, you shot him. What what time did you say you shot him? Like 2.30? 2.30, yeah. So then did you call Sean? Did you get out, check your arrow? What what was your next step from there? Um, I watched the footage. <laughs> I watched to see where my shot was exactly frame by frame. And that's a good thing to have, you know, that's one of the pluses of having everything filmed too is you can play it back and see what, you know, what happened. Yeah, it, it absolutely was. And um, having watched that footage, I actually was able to go up and look for my arrow. And I found the arrow. Um, but the the interesting thing that happened that really kind of put hope in my mind was that within 15 minutes of having pulled the trigger there were about i don't know seven to ten ravens that were kind of swarming the area that he ran off into and they were they were going from you know 15 feet off the ground pushing the trees to the ground and flying back up to going back down you know and that told me that that deer was probably right there and that he had already bedded down and the reason those ravens were flying back into the tree was because he was still alive and he was just swatting at them, you know, moving around to try to get him off of him. Mm-hmm. So you thought he was pretty sick. I thought he was worse. I figured he was worse off than I thought he was. Yeah. And then you initially thought he was. Then, then I initially thought he was. Yeah. So that's when I just said, stop you know obviously there's something telling me that this could i could come out okay so i i grabbed my arrow and i went back to the blind and i had no choice but to sit there until dark when my ride came so i had to sit there in agony wondering if that deer was laying there dying if he was already dead or if he had gotten up and you know, walked another half a mile someplace. I had no clue. What did you end up seeing the rest of the day? Uh, I had another, probably, I think it was a two-year-old buck come in. Um, You know, a few more does. The same two that came in first were the last ones that came in before it got dark. I was sick, man. Like, I couldn't couldn't do anything. I, I knew to stay out of there. I knew my best bet was to just sit there and wait, so... So your ride came and you knew you were going to have a sleepless night. Yeah. Well, kokanee induced sleep. <laughs> kokanee crushers. Got to love them. crushers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was, Sean saw the footage and um, I 150% credit my broadhead for killing that deer. So this is your chance to plug it. What was it? <laughs> it was a schwacker. Schwacker, okay. Yep. Um, I I really don't know that a, a fixed blade broadhead would have opened him up like it did, and the fact that he was so tore up is what bedded him down as quick as it did. It didn't kill him like I wanted it to, you know, as quick as I wanted it to. Would have liked it to. I mean, I think a rage or um you know, a rocket or a wasp or anything like that probably would have done equivalent damage, but um, I don't know, just one of those things in hindsight. 
that I think was a big factor in it. That and having stayed away from him, seeing those Ravens come down and staying away, I think saved me. So is that is that where he was then? When you got up the next morning, you guys went in there and did he bed down right there, or what was what was the plan of attack for the next morning? Um, the plan of attack was to go in there like that night when my ride came we did find blood where i shot him like on impact and we found blood on the trail that he ran out on so that was enough like me knowing that it was marginal and having watched the footage but there was blood on the ground that was enough to say let's just go back and show sean he saw it and he saw what came out of the deer on impact other than the arrow. And he said, he said, I'm not worried. We'll get him. He's like, there's enough, there's enough other goodies on the ground that he's probably not going to be too far away. So then you got up the next morning and decided to head in right away. Yep. We dropped the other guys off um, at their blinds and him and I went in together and Ravens and magpies were singing their praises off in the timber. And we got on the blood trail and we followed the blood. And as we were doing that, the ravens and magpies were getting louder and louder and louder. And things were just adding up. And he was probably 150 yards from where I first saw those ravens hitting the ground the night before when I shot him. So, I mean, and it's, it really sucks you know, to come up on a deer, I'm assuming you probably was probably ate pretty good, probably coyotes and everything got into him. Man, nothing, nothing touched him. Really? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's because he, like, I don't think he made it through much of the night. I mean, he was very stiff, you know, and the only thing that was missing was the eyeball on the top side of his head, you know, that was, that was up from those birds. No wolves had gotten to him. No coyotes had gotten to him. Well, you lucked out, and it was probably pretty cold, so his meat probably stayed pretty good, and, and you yeah. got to take that back with you. Yeah, and it was, like I said, we, I, I shot on the first full day of the hunt, and with three other two other guys in camp, I mean, we were the first group of deer hunters in on Sean's first ever season running deer hunts. That was literally the first deer that came out of his camp that's awesome what what did he end up going uh we rough scored him at 147 that night that day we got him back was he a four-year-old five-year-old how old was he i think he was a five-year-old sean and sean agreed um not to get into another hunt here but one of the guys that went with me uh was my he was the assistant coach on my varsity baseball team and this guy had never gone someplace to hunt outside of New York. Like he's, he's never hunted with an outfitter before. He's never, he's always, you know, one of those guys who just watches the shows and was like, someday I'm going to do that. And, um, he pulled the trigger when, when I put this hunt together and he said, I'm in. And uh, total opposite hunt. He went all day, every day for the whole week. And didn't he, he ended up killing the last fifteen minutes of the last day. Wow. And he killed 
a deer that was not on camera that he had not encountered all week and is bigger than something he will probably ever kill again in his life. <laughs> That's awesome. He got the full experience. He ended up leaving with a 166 non-typical. I mean, just one of those absolute, like, iconic Saskatchewan chocolate rack, like, just stuff everywhere. Massive, heavy, just big, big woods deer. That's awesome. You know, in that experience, sitting all day for a week, every day, it takes a toll. But that last, you know, that hunt probably lasted a minute. That was all worth it, you know? Yeah, yeah for sure. And, I mean, going, like, I keep, I keep saying, you know, about my past, but, like, I was, I was a guide again, and I, I know Sean felt so relieved and accomplished at the same time, and, like, this guy's first ever hunt, like, first experience with an outfitter, he stuck it out and I mean, just absolutely walked away with a hammer. I mean, just if I could have done it better for him, I mean, I, I don't know if I could have. <laughs> That's really I cool. I, and I know Sean couldn't have, I mean, I cornered Sean and said, I want, I want him to shoot this buck that you've got on camera. Like I was going to sacrifice the deer that he had patterned for me. And he said, Oh no. He's like, you've been here too much and you've got the camera. You're going to go kill that deer. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's cool, man. It worked out that way. That's cool, man. That's that's a really cool story and to be able to go on a hunt like that and uh, come home with uh, your biggest buck to date. It's that's uh, that's really really cool and to do it under the circumstances, you know, the weather and everything, and and to stick it out for a couple hours on one day <laughs> and uh, and come away with that buck. That's that's just icing on the cake, man. On that note, I wanna I wanna thank you for coming on, and you're officially the first guest on the Fall Podcast. How's how's that make you feel? It feels good, man. Like I said, it's I've had a lot of firsts, like with the camera, and now being the first on the Fall Podcast, and I'm excited to see where it goes for you. I mean, it's I know you've got a lot of cool stuff coming up, and I mentioned Caleb Byers earlier, kind of in passing, but I I think you mentioned you've got him lined out to come on at some point. Yep, he's coming on, man. It's that's gonna be, that's one I'm really looking forward to. I mean, killing three 200 inch deer by the time he's 30 yeah. years old is, I don't care who you are, or where you're from, or where you're doing it in the wild, free range wild. That is, that is a feat, man. That is yeah, unbelievable. Sure. I'll tell you what, man. I've, I've seen his, I've been in his house and I've seen his, I've seen the deer that he's been lucky to harvest i mean and i've, I've seen all three of those 200s and i've had my hands on them i mean i went out and shot the segment for midwest whitetail after he found the goat this year and I, it's it's indescribable to see a deer like that and know what it takes to grow in the wild to reach that that potential yeah and i can't wait to to get that story from him where can people go and and watch that that video that you uh that you shot for him uh they can find it on on our website midwestwhitetail.com um if you follow the links to the main show episodes but it's also on um there's a link on our instagram page if you look at the post about that about that shoot and it'll direct you to our youtube channel midwest whitetail's youtube channel and it's in our off season 
offseason series this this year so that's cool man and like i said i want to I want to thank you for coming on, and, and we're going to have to do this again. You're going to have to be a, a regular on the podcast, and we can just BS and talk deer hunting and just kind of do updates through the fall and what's going on with you guys and with us. And Yeah, it'd be fun, man, it's especially to in the context we have it in now, trying to figure out what to do in a new place, and who knows, maybe I'll end up doing some good. Yeah, you will, man. You You've been working your tail off, and it'll all pay off here and it is paying off where you're right now. So like I said, I want to thank you for coming on and, uh, and I think that's all we got time for today. All right, man. Well, appreciate you having me and, you know, reaching out in the first place to even ask about it. So it's been, it's been fun. Thanks, Justin. All right. You're welcome, man. Thanks. All right. And that wraps up episode two of the fall podcast with Justin Fabian from Midwest Whitetail. Uh, I want to thank Justin again for coming on and we had a good time and, if you guys want to see more of what Midwest Whitetail does and what Justin does, go to their YouTube channel and uh, subscribe, follow them, and also go to their Instagram and Facebook pages and, and, and tag along and see what they're doing. And If you guys could do me a favor and go to the Fall Podcast Instagram if you haven't yet, follow, like, and share. Same with uh, Facebook. And lastly, if you could go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and leave some feedback, that would be much appreciated. Thanks, everybody, again, and uh, we'll see you next time.